ask Susie to take a moment and <laughs> share with you what conciliation is. Yeah, some of you saw that word and didn't have a clue. Well, there actually aren't that many of us. It's a rather new um, branch of counseling. We are not licensed counselors, so we don't have like the the uh, registered 3,000 degrees, uh, degrees, hours of counseling, that kind of thing. So we're not licensed counselors. We have spent years and years in ministry ever since we were first married 44 years ago and have spent a lot of time with couples and uh, when we were in Brazil, working with students, hearing life stories, walking through pain with people. And Glenn has always had just a real gifting in this area of listening deeply and helping people to process stuff that's deep inside their souls. And so after many years of ministry, we had the opportunity to hear a mediation, to listen to a woman walking a couple that was on the verge of divorce into um, walking them toward the gospel, walking them toward their own, uh, their own part, because couples usually come together and one is convinced, they're both convinced it's the other's fault. And so walking them into their own stuff, walking them down the path of forgiveness and toward reconciliation. And it appealed so strongly to us, this method that kind of brought all this stuff together that we had been doing through the years. So we went through some training. And our focus, when people come to us, we actually end up working with a lot of different people. Uh, primarily couples who are in conflict. And they come and they feel like there's no hope. And our desire is to watch them uh, walk toward humility rather than self-centeredness. Watch them walk into facing the logs in their own eye and not um, pointing out the specks all the time in the other's eye. And so it's a and helping them understand what is true confession? What is a beautiful confession that really gets to the motivation behind the sinful action or words? And then what is beautiful forgiveness? So we work with couples that way, sometimes taking them into long, uh, several-day sessions of working through their stories so they can see where a lot of their sinful behavior was learned long, long ago before they ever entered into their marriage. Other people come to us in a faith crisis where they've walked into something uh, shameful or they've experienced deep pain and they can't seem to get out of it. So we work with individuals as well. And we've worked with some families who are in conflict, uh, a larger family group. So we're working primarily with people either with their own conflict within or interpersonal conflict. Did that so. answer your question? 35,000 foot answer. <laughs> so I want to begin by <clears throat> with a, a statement that <clears throat> you already know. So this statement isn't going to be rocket science at all. And uh, perhaps if you are somewhat familiar with your, your Bible and the New Testament, uh, you probably remember a passage where Jesus said on several occasions, He who has ears, let him hear. Okay. And so let's just do a little bit of manipulation and move. Uh, the part that I want to manipulate is the word he. So uh, do you think it's fair to substitute for he husbands, husbands who have ears, let him hear. Wives who have ears, let them 
is it a is it a fair conclusion to draw <clears throat> just with that little rudimentary bit of biblical awareness that God wants us to become people who are keen listeners? And is it also not fairly easy to conclude that a ton of us are really skilled at listening without listening? Have we ever heard a little phrase in English, you're not hearing me, you're not listening to me? And of course the point is, the auditory impressions are coming through, so there is hearing going on, but there isn't the kind of hearing that reflects one person connecting with another, honoring that person, and then acting with the loving response. <clears throat> so, with the, this many couples in this in this room, uh, you know very well that that it's a good thing for you to listen beautifully to your spouse, and you also know very well that. Many times you don't listen beautifully to your spouse, correct? Okay. <clears throat> so we just want to spend some time uh, exploring a bit this subject of God wants us to listen, but we don't. And so I'm going to make just a nasty, unpleasant conclusion that I hope that you can accept. <clears throat> you and I do not listen well because we prefer listening badly to listening well. Sounds nasty, doesn't it? Okay. Is it not true that when you do not listen well, you choose to not listen well? I mean, we've all had times when you can't hear We've had times when we're sick or something like that. But when you irritate your spouse because of listening, it's because you don't want to listen. I think that's a fair statement. And so one of the things that might be interesting to you is that courses in listening skills development, okay, the... The pre-test and the post-test studies on things like that always indicate that there is growth in listening development for about four to six weeks. And then the people resort back to their pre-intervention skills. And the conclusion by all the social scientists is because people don't want to because listening beautifully costs too much. And so, if, if we're going to try to help you in one evening like this, I think it's appropriate for us to face this rather unpleasant conclusion. Uh, many, many times when you and I do not listen well, it's because we're pretty highly motivated to not listen well. So I, I want to spend some time and just see if I can demonstrate that. And I've asked Susie... If she, so I've got three questions for her. And so the first question is, Susie, uh, I don't remember the order that we chose. You? Go from least. Least, okay. <laughs> so the, the first question is, would you share with these folks at least one account of when I listened to you not very well, but it wasn't that big of a deal? Okay? Not listening all that well, but it didn't hurt her badly. 
And then the next question is going to be, would you please share a story when I didn't listen well and it hurt more? And then the third one is when I did not listen well and it hurt a ton. And all three of these, I think, are going to illustrate the point that at times Glenn just doesn't listen because he chooses not to. All of this, and he's a pastor, and he's an ordained minister, and he's got a missionary, and all this kind of holy stuff, and boom, he doesn't want to listen. So, Mrs. J, would you uh, start off with a story, please? <laughs> so I get to pick on him tonight. And <laughs> uh, standing, looking at Glenn and saying, um, this afternoon, uh, we need to get some things at the store. Will you go to the store this afternoon because I have appointments? And, I, and there's a some kind of chur. And later in the afternoon, it's, it's getting late, and um, you haven't gone to the store yet? Go to the store? And so I know you can all relate to this. It's, it's, you know something went in because the eyes were looking at you, but it didn't register long enough to stay there. And it's like there's no memory of it whatsoever. That's easy to overlook. Uh, it's easy to just say. We, the word that for that kind of thing is forbearance. It's like you... Before you get to forbearance, honey, don't you, would you please take a shot at describing for the folks what you feel, what it's like to be not heard at that level? At that level, it's just... Um, it's like, okay, he was looking straight at me. How did we miss this? And so it's just kind of a low-level... Boy, I was sure, because there was even like a nod of the head or a uh-huh or, you know, something like that. And so it's like you're confident that it's, that it's gone in and it's registered, you know, and but it, it, it missed. And so it's just kind of bewildering. That's all. Would you say bewildering is would be a, a fundamental experience that you have when, you, when you're in that zone? And a little bit of irritation. <laughs> we agreed to this. And now you're telling me, well, I don't remember that. <laughs> Aren't you guys impressed with me? <laughs> he could tell similar stories. <laughs> uh, yeah. This one is not even at all. <laughs> okay, and how do you? How did you manage to get over it? Oh, that's not hard. It's, it's for me. That's a uh, a brief irritation. It's e easily resolved, and it's not something that lingers for me. And so it, it's like. Ah, that's over. It's not. Would you please share with the folks, what do you think was going on within me that caused me to hear you but to forget? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my husband really enjoys his thoughts. <laughs> and if he is thinking about something, it's like a, a little closet that... that uh, He's just locked away in there having a great time. And so if I'm talking to him and his thoughts are actually on something much more important, of course, then it'll be kind of like it, it bounces off of him but not settle in because his thinking is really elsewhere. I see some heads nodding. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Would you share it up the level of intensity a little bit, please? 
and I just slipped my mind what I was going to talk about. Good. <laughs> but I was listening to you. <laughs> um, wow. I just had it, and it just... Well, then let's go up to the highest level of intensity. Yeah, the middle one's kind of hard. It was like... For me, there's not a lot of middle ground there, it seems like. And uh, it's like, oh, that's not a big deal. Or, ah. <laughs> so um, we actually talked about this just last night. And this has to do with when there is something going on in the relationship that you feel very strongly needs to be talked about. And so this, I, the example I'm going to give you was when we were in Brazil. And uh, we were both teaching in the seminary. I was teaching very part-time because the classes were all at night, so we had to kind of shuffle. And his interest was definitely stronger to be doing that, and mine was less. But I did teach one or two nights a week, depending on the semester. And um, when Glenn was teaching at night, I would make sure we had dinner ready and that everything was in order for the kids for school and, you know, at, I'm just taking care of it. He comes in and eats and then he leaves. And when I was teaching, I also fixed dinner and made sure everything was ready for the next day and had to be at school by 6 p.m. in the evening. And I remember trying to talk about that and um, was basically it wasn't, we weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> I can't really describe to you now, that was quite a few years ago, but it was definitely a feeling of this subject, I'm not going there with you. And it developed resentment. Uh, I did feel resentful. I felt, um, I felt less than. Um, it felt like you believe that what you do is much more important than what I do, but we're both doing the same thing. And so it, it was a, a very hard thing for me. And sometimes my thoughts were very negative. And... Um, Would you please share with them some of the thoughts that you had? Well, the worst one I can remember is, you know, sometimes it would just be easier if you weren't here. That was like my darkest moment. You know, it was like, why do I do this? Um, so that was a lot of self-pity. And we could go into my own stuff at this point, but... Um, well, what she just did was that this particular circumstance led her to a thought or to a belief. It would be easier if he were not here. And one of the things, we didn't come here trying to teach you this point, but this leaks out of us all the time, is that all of us are soul beings. And uh, we can at least say that when God created us as soul beings, our soul-ishness, uh, at the very least, means that we have a thinking process. We, we are, we're rational, cognitive people. At the very least, we are emotional people. And at the very least, we are desiring, purposing people. And so these three, kind of the, the history of thought and history of the church, the words, faculties of the soul, the cognitive, the emotional, and the volitional, uh, are, are the faculties of the soul that it seems that God created us with. And so Susie went through a difficult experience and she just shared with you her belief at that particular time. That make sense? 
Okay? Every time that we have a belief, we always have some kind of emotional component that travels right along with it and a desiring or a purposing component that travels with it all the time. And yet everybody typically leads with one of those three. Okay? And so Susie just took you into her thought. Would you please share with them some of the emotions that you believe that you were experiencing? Anger. <laughs> um, yeah, I was um, resentment that would breed anger. Um, and so a sense of I've tried to bring this up, I've tried to talk about it, I can't talk about it. And it, it, um, so it, resentment, I think, would be the... Um, how did you deal with that? I, mean, I think we're talking about something that I manifested for quite a long time, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, it went on for quite a few, <laughs> quite a long time. So you're dealing with anger and resentment for quite a while. What, mm -hmm. How was that? How were you doing? Well, it would it would pop up at different times. It wasn't like I always felt that way. And some days I'd be fine, and I'd be, um, you know, not feeling sorry for myself, and I'd be. Uh, choosing to just step in with joy, doing what I was doing. Uh, but I would find that on those nights, uh, I would often leave rather resentful of, man, I just scrambled to get out of here. And uh, so it, there came a point, though, where I realized, okay, I am not going to manage to move this conversation forward. Uh, I can't force him to want to listen to my heart and what I'm feeling and what what it really means to me. And so I came to a point where I decided I wasn't going to bring it up, but I also realized I could not, well, could not, I would not choose to stay in resentment and that I would practice forgiveness even though there was no... Uh, no sense of repentance or uh, a change. Impressive guy, aren't I? <laughs> Honey, in your judgment, what belief was I leading with that was <coughs> generating my unwillingness to listen to you? A belief, uh, well, part of it, a, a desire anyway, it would have been, I don't want to change this. <laughs> uh, I want it to stay this way. Um, a belief that this was probably something I just needed to deal with. So I'm, I'm imagining his beliefs because... Uh, We're all pretty good at reading each other's yeah. beliefs, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that somehow, actually, what he did was more important. I think she just hit the nail on the head. As I have looked back on myself, that was that was my belief that that what I was doing was or is more important than what my wife is doing. Okay, what's the big C word that's in the room right now? C H A U. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where uh, not at all fun for me to admit that, but that's where I was. So I, as I look back on myself, I would not have cared to admit that, to anyone that, that I had chauvinistic leanings within me, but 
we reveal much about what we believe by our behavior, correct? And so I was just revealing that in at least in one corner of my soul that there was a chauvinistic leaning that what I, the husband, or the man, or maybe just the individual, but that I wanted was more important than what my wife wanted. Very, very ugly thing that Susie had to live with, and very admirable that she was able to forgive me and, and deal with that bitterness and that resentment without exploding us, don't you think? Okay. So, are you, do, you, do you remember the second one, back and back? No, I got so involved in that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, just with those couple stories... Oh, I remember now. <laughs> I'm glad. That this has to do with when one party, being me, has an interest, and there's there's not the same interest, but I'm quite enthusiastic about it, and uh, feel like he ought to be too, <laughs> and so I'm going on and on about it, but I can tell that there's kind of this glaze over, and. <laughs> I know very well that he's experienced the same thing with me, so I, this I do know that I can glaze over too. But it's not a terribly serious thing, except that the things that we're interested in feel so much a part of us. It's like, this is my being, this is, and I, I want you to be enthusiastic about it and to hear about this. Now, this is an area where he definitely also has changed a lot in moving toward me, but it, um, it can feel just a little, I would say the feeling at that point is lonely, not, not a drastic loneliness, but kind of like, oh, I kind of want to share that instead of feeling kind of, oh, that's for you, that's not for me. Um, so the loneliness there, and probably the belief is, well, I should probably just kind of keep that stuff for myself, or find somebody else to talk to, which maybe isn't a bad belief, you know, go find some other chicks and talk about it or whatever, you know, so that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, so at least in my case, that wasn't a severe thing. Honey, would you please try to describe what loneliness is like for you? It's a hard question to ask her. Well, I would say the other example, uh, I hadn't mentioned that because it hadn't come to my mind, but the other example of the, the feeling uh, disregarded, that loneliness in that was much stronger, a much more severe loneliness. Because when you don't feel heard over something that's very important, and you feel like there's a, a barrier that you cannot cross to get there, that's a lonely feeling. Mm -hmm. When you feel lonely, what tends to follow? Um, the temptation is to move towards self-pity um, and blaming. Thank you. So, I now have a choice, which I'm going to pass on to you. One is that I could ask you folks some questions about some thoughts, whatever, what popped up during our little conversation here. Uh, 
and that'd be just fine if we've got folks who are feeling pretty comfortable with us and with each other. Or I can break you up into groups of four to six and have you identify the things and then share them as small groups. Do you have any preference? Maybe Matt has a hunch. Matt, do you have a preference? Uh, I think Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So let's just kind of get in some natural clumps here and share just really anything is fair game. Th anything you thought was interesting, any questions that you have, observations that you have that came out of the conversation that Susie and I just had. Thank you. Somebody from this table? We kind of were curious about your response to your feelings and sort of that feeling of you're not being listened to and like, is it So, honey, I'm going to ask you a leading question. Uh, how have you found that the death and the resurrection of Jesus actually makes it possible for you to forgive when people have been very, very hurtful to you? Um, that has been a profound move in my life because as I... Um, have experienced um, deep hurts from different people, as we all have. Uh, the reality of being able to say, 
Let me focus on Jesus and the death of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He took my sin and he had me, he took it off of me and he took it to the cross and he forgave all the crud in my life, all that I was guilty for, all that I was ashamed of, he took it. And when my the sense of how ugly my sin really is, not comparing it to someone else, but looking and saying, did Jesus really have to die for me? Am I really that bad? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And apart from Jesus, I am rebellious, and I will go my own way. And so when I was able to go to the cross and say, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that forgiveness. It was totally grace given. It was a gift for someone totally undeserving. Then I can honestly say, who am I to withhold forgiveness? Do I think that my husband or someone else who has hurt me is less deserving of God's forgiveness than I am? Do I really believe that? Or do I believe that I have been forgiven so much that I am then free to give that forgiveness and not hold that unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness as if it were some power over the other person, which is really drinking poison into my own soul. So, <laughs> the death and resurrection, death, death <laughs> is utterly, utterly the answer and the power uh, to be able to move that direction. Apart from it, I would not. The resurrection, wow, Jesus was victorious over all that sin and crud in my life, and he has put a new heart in me, a new life. He's given me his very own self and put it in me. So he is in me, I am in him. That's victory. I don't have to use the coping methods that I grew up with to protect myself from pain the fear of rejection, the fear of someone getting angry at me so you don't talk about anything, I didn't have to stay there anymore. I was so loved, so forgiven, that I can then take the risk of moving toward the other in the power of forgiveness and victory and say, my identity is here in Jesus, not in how that person responds to me. So I can then take the risk and approach um, that person. Thank you. I am a guy who, I don't know how I developed this, but I do not appreciate shoddy thinking, and I don't like reductionistic thinking, and I don't like pat answers. That's just kind of the way my mind works. And Glenn and Susie are here before you. I'm going to make a, a claim that you could receive as reductionistic and simplistic. And uh, uh, so let's try it out. Because I really like what I'm about to say. <laughs> I absolutely need 
the atoning work of Jesus Christ in order to listen well. I just don't have the strength. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the willpower to day after day after day listen well, particularly when I'm tempted to fall into my molishness or when I'm tempted to fall into my self-centeredness. I just don't have that ability. And I, I find a great deal of comfort uh, having tried to explore as personally as I can, did Jesus really die? Did he really resurrect? And are the death and the resurrection of Jesus sufficiently powerful to organize all of my thinking so that everything that I want to accomplish in life, I have, I need the death and the resurrection of Jesus for it. Now that sounds to me like a monstrously reductionistic statement. And what I like to proclaim to you is that it is a monstrously audacious claim, but it's not reductionistic because it's true. And I just, that, that revs, it lights me up. Because I have come to the conclusion, and I would love to try convincing you, if you need it, that I need the death and the resurrection of Jesus in order to listen well. I need the death and resurrection of Jesus in order to make love well. I need the death and the resurrection of Jesus in order to deal with my shame issues, with my guilt issues, in order to keep my integrity intact. I need the atonement for everything that's important to me. And I hope that you, wherever you are in your pilgrimage towards uh, truth, I hope that you are a person who becomes more and more outspokenly confident because you've examined to the very best of your ability and you've surrendered to the best of your ability, confident that the atoning work of God the Father, Son, God the Son, the Spirit, is all wrapped up in the atonement, and it's absolutely essential for everything that is important to you, including listening. So, uh, oof, death and resurrection, big deal. So a little homework assignment <laughs> is to practice, ask, ask yourself, and really try to struggle through it, because it isn't always easy. It, you, you, you walk through something, or you're feeling a temptation, or you know you just sinned. <laughs> and to ask yourself, what difference does the death of Jesus make? What difference does his resurrection make? And kind of struggle through that because it is so far-reaching and so deeply reaching and so uh, many, many faceted. Because our tendency is to think, well, Jesus died for my sin and he rose so that I could be in heaven. And we just kind of end there. It's like this one-step thing rather than its life itself and a, and a transformation of life. Okay, now we've been yapping at you guys for a while, so I'm now going to, I've got a couple minutes left, so I want to ask you a question. Why is it important? Why is it worthwhile to listen well to your spouse? Jordan? Uh, so they feel loved and we understand them better. Cool, cool. And we could even probably one-up that one just not only so that she feels loved, but that you actually are acting lovingly toward her. 
Yeah. Cool. Okay. Matt? Uh, by, by listening to your, your wife or three minutes before, you validated their efforts. Okay. Cool. Luann. You want to be the person that they share with first and foremost and always. Very cool. Very cool. Jesse? Without it, you don't have a relationship. Okay, ready for another question? Why, in your estimation, did God create listening? Got an answer? Maybe it's part of being made in his image because he's a trinity. Okay. What's your name? I'm listening, but I can't hear, just so clear. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh. If I had an eraser right now. <laughs> What's your name? Mitch. Okay, I would really enjoy the eraser thing. One time I was teaching down in Brazil, and some student made a statement like that. It was one of my golden moments, because I picked up an eraser, and I threw it at him. He's about 25 feet away, and I hit him right in the head. <laughs> yes, now let's come back to your answer, please. Um, I think because he listens okay. to the Father, the Son, the Spirit. They know what listening is, uh-huh. and that's the... It's in his nature, and so being made in his image, we are communing individuals. We are, we are created to be in relationship. Yes. Okay. That's the only way. So does it follow, then, that when you listen beautifully to her, that you are embodying the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I think so. Yeah. What I'd love to see you say is not, I think so, I'd say, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, think, I think to say it differently and similarly is that it's, it's, it, listening is a, is a small taste of what sacrifice feels like. Okay. But it, it's the body of what it means to not always be in your own bubble. Like yes. Or always thinking of what the response is, but instead truly listening is a form of sacrifice. Yes, yes. So, please... Uh, Surrender yourself to the high calling of following our, our God into better and better listening. Okay. Because it works, true. Because it is a loving thing to do, it helps this world be better. Yes, that's a, that's a good reason. But uh, we, can all, we can up the ante. And we can say because God's church... And Jesus, the Son of God, listened to each other. So there's more to it than just marriages, more to it than just merely interpersonal relationship. The heaven-earth relationship is a listening relationship, two-way. And as, I just forgot your name. Nick. Nick, okay. Not only is it interpersonal relating is just healthy, not only is it the bridge to heaven and earth, it's also the way that God himself communicates within himself. So for many, many reasons, well, maybe not many, a few wonderful reasons, then us growing in the skill of listening is just a beautiful, beautiful thing, and we want to encourage you to walk that way. I think our time is shot, so uh, Matt, I turn the, the microphone that doesn't exist over to you.